Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini, and I'm the only one at the table today uh, because it is that time in the season for the Truth's Table classroom, and I am the first one up. And so I have, uh, well, I, let me refresh your memory. Um, as you know, uh, from time to time, uh, we, the women of Truth's Table, have decided that it would be great to invite you, our listeners, to learn more about our respective ministries. As you know, the three of the three of us, Michelle, Christina, and myself, are all anti-racist, and so our anti-racist framework or pedagogy works itself out differently in all of our ministries. Mine is more centrally focused on systematic theology, biblical theology, so pretty much theology proper. Um, and then I incorporate uh, so the disciplines of sociology and history, uh, even uh, critical race theory to see what, what are some truths that we can glean um, from these disciplines based on common grace. So, I have the pleasure of uh, sharing a talk with you all that I gave last year entitled The Fall, How Did We Get Here? And it's just a little bit of background. I was asked uh, by a conference to actually uh, only speak about the fall. Uh, They just wanted me to give a good comprehensive treatment of the fall of man, which is one of the, uh, I guess you could say, epochs of redemptive history, right? I uh, had the honor of doing that, and that's what I do in this talk. And really, the central point is, you know, how do we get here? How did how does Adam's sin impact our lives today? How does what does his sin have to do with the Dakota Access Pipeline, the Flint Water Crisis? The Black Lives Matter movement, Boko Haram, what does Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden have to do with what's happening now, with what we're grappling with now? That is really the central thesis of uh, this talk. Uh, sadly and unfortunately, uh, when the when I gave the, the talk uh, and when it when the conference was over, the conference decided not to support me. They refused to release the video, and they asked that I not even uh, associate the name of the conference with the talk. Um, this is, you know, sadly, this is not something that I'm unaccustomed to. Uh, whenever you give a prophetic word, oftentimes people want to silence your voice, but uh, the truth of God's word will always go out. It will never, ever be uh, shut down. And so uh, I am releasing this episode to you all, or this this talk to you all in our Truth Table classroom. I hope it's convicting. I hope that it uh, stirs your soul. Uh, and I hope it points you uh, to our sufficiency and our need, our desperate need uh, for Jesus Christ. So enjoy the talk. There is also an actual YouTube video too. We'll also include that in the uh, show link underneath the uh, episode description. So enjoy the talk. Uh, This is the fall. How did we get here? So pull up a chair, grab your notebooks, and uh, take a listen as I expound on how it is that we got here in this present situation. Bye, y'all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. By the word of his mouth, 
God filled the seas and the earth with living creatures too numerous to count. By the word of his mouth, God filled the sky with birds and he caused vegetation of every kind to sprout from the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all the earth and over the livestock and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God planted a beautiful, verdant, and tranquil environment known as the Garden of Eden. And in that place, Adam and Eve enjoyed unmitigated fellowship and union with the one true God. They had everything they needed and lacked for nothing. Then God observed all he created and he said, it was very good. So what happened? How did we get here? Here in Flint, Michigan, where the residents of Flint, American citizens, have been without clean water for over 1,000 days. When city and state officials put the city's bottom line over the well-being of its residents, when they switched the city's water supply from Lake Huron to Flint River, which is 19 times more corrosive than Lake Huron. As a result, over 50,000 residents have been poisoned by lead, toxins, and exposed to bacteria. Bacteria like Legionella that led to an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease that killed 12 people. How did we get here? Here, in Standing Rock, North Dakota, where Native Americans of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe have been fighting tirelessly to protect their water supply, sacred land, and burial sites from the Dakota Access Pipeline. This isn't just about water. The Dakota Access Pipeline is what happens when white supremacy and corporate interests collide. This is neo-colonialism. How did we get here? Here, in Stanford, California, where Brock Turner raped a woman behind a dumpster while she was unconscious. He was found guilty, and he faced a maximum prison sentence of up to 14 years in prison. But the judge only sentenced him to six months in jail because he feared that a longer sentence would have a severe impact on Brock. Never mind that the woman who was raped by Brock now has to deal with the daily trauma and severe impact every single day of her life. Brock Turner was released from jail 
after only serving three months of his six months prison sentence. This is what rape culture, misogyny, and white privilege beget. How did we get here? Here, on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania, where three days after the presidential election, a significant number of the black, of the, of the black freshman class woke up to find that they were put into a group meet messenger group entitled Mud Men. And in that group were gruesome pictures of black lynching victims. The students were called derogatory and dehumanizing names. And each student was given a date for their lynching. How did we get here? Here in Philadelphia, where over 30 public schools have been closed since 2012, 23 of the 30 schools were closed in 2013. 23 schools in a single year. My God. What is the message that we are sending black and brown students? That their minds don't matter? That they don't deserve a bright future? Like the children who live 20 minutes away in Laura Marion, Pennsylvania? This doesn't happen in Abington, Pennsylvania. This doesn't happen in Los Altos, California. Why do we hurt the most vulnerable in our society? Why? How do we get here? Here, where my humanity and that of my black brothers and sisters is up for debate. Why do we have to state the obvious fact that we are human beings made in the image of God who deserve to survive a police encounter? If you have eyes to see, you'd see the declaration that Black Lives Matter is Genesis 1, 26 to 27. It doesn't get more plain than that. Betty Jones was a 55-year-old mother and grandmother who, um, who was asked to actually open the door for the police by her uh, upstairs neighbor who was having a domestic disturbance. She opened the door and she was greeted by the police with a single gunshot bullet to her heart. Tamir Rice was 12 years old, playing with a toy gun in a park when he was shot two times within two seconds of the police cars pulling up to the scene. Eric Garner was tackled by the police on suspicion of selling loose cigarettes, tackled like an animal. One of the officers put him in a chokehold. Eric Garner pleaded for his life. 11 times he said, I can't breathe. Seven-year-old Ayana Stanley Jones, asleep 
on a couch in her home when the Detroit police bust into her home and shoot her while she's asleep. Black girl dreaming. Rakia Boyd, Renisha McBride, Eleanor Bumpers, Deborah Danner, Walter Scott, Matthew Ajabade, Alfred Alongo, Freddie Gray. Their lives matter. My life matters. Black lives matter. How did we get here? Here in northern Nigeria, where Boko Haram has killed more people than ISIS. Yet, news about ISIS dominates the headlines. Why is that? Why do we determine the value of a person's life based on the amount of melanin in their skin? Why? Do their lives not matter? Do their lives matter less? My soul cries out for my kinsmen according to the flesh. And lest you think the church is exempt from any of this, how on earth did we get here? Here, where 81% of white evangelicals chose to vote for a man who embodies racism, sexism, misogyny, bigotry, xenophobia, and the like. A man who bragged about sexually assaulting women. He had no shame. A man who said he never asked anybody for forgiveness. How did we get here? Do you feel the weight of the fall pressing down on you? Because I do. How did we get here? The fall. The fall is how we got here. Now let's return to Eden for a moment. And let's see if we can retrace our steps and figure this out together. Now, Eden was a garden temple where God dwelled with man, with Adam and Eve. God walked with them. He communed with them. He made Adam and Eve in his image and likeness. They were his representatives on earth. He gave them dominion over all that he made. He charged them with gardening, guarding and keeping Eden. He told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with image bearers. In this pre-fall context, Adam and Eve were in a state of innocency. That means that they were actually able not to sin. They could obey God or they could also choose to obey God, um, disobey God and sin against him. Now I know that after seeing these images and hearing the wickedness that lies underneath, you're probably tempted to say, well, let's go back to Eden when it was all good. But saints, understand this. Although Eden was very good, it was not perfect. 
because it had not reached its ultimate goal, which was eschatological fulfillment. So what was it that kept Eden from being perfect? Turn with me to Genesis 2, 9, verses 16 and 17. And also keep your finger on Genesis 3, 1. Genesis 2, 9 reads, The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verses 16 and 17, God commands Adam saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So based off of these three verses, we see that we have two trees, one that will confer life and one that will confer death. In Genesis 3.1, we learn that there is something else in the garden that keeps it from being perfect. And the scripture says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. From these scriptures, there are three features in the garden that indicate that Eden was not the highest goal for humanity. The first is the tree of life. This symbolized an escalation of life that would have been conferred to Adam and Eve had they eaten of its fruits, moving them from the estate of innocency to the estate of glory. They would have advanced beyond life in Eden, receiving eternal life, and they would have been confirmed in righteousness and holiness. The second feature in the garden that lets us know that Eden was not the highest goal for humanity is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the probation tree, meaning that while in the garden, Adam and Eve were being tested temporarily. Adam and Eve lived under the threat of death while in Eden. That is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil symbolized. Death was a consequence for disobedience. The third feature in the garden that lets us know that Eden was not the highest goal for humanity is the serpent. The serpent's presence defiles the garden temple of Eden, tempting Adam and Eve to sin against God. Remember, God gave Adam and Eve dominion over everything he made. Guarding the garden temple meant that Adam and Eve were to exercise dominion and crush the serpent for profaning the garden temple. So long as the serpent remained in the garden, Adam and Eve could not advance beyond probation. So the presence of the serpent poses an existential question. Would Adam and Eve act in accordance with God's command and walk in the dominion given them by expelling the serpent from the garden? Or would they debase themselves and be dominated by the serpent? Genesis 3 holds the answer. In Genesis 3, 1b, the scripture says, or the serpent said to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In verses 2 to 3, Eve replies to the serpent telling it what God commanded them, but she adds to God's commands. Verses 4 to 7, the serpent replies to Eve saying, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, you'll, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
This is the moment the fall occurred. The moment that sin, death, and misery entered the world. The moment that Adam and Eve fell from the estate of innocency into an estate of total depravity, confirming in that moment that humanity would share in the guilt of Adam's original sin and be born in sin, shaped in iniquity, without the capacity to please God. Confirming that all of humanity in their fallen state has their hearts inclined toward evil apart from the saving work of Christ. Due to Adam and Eve's sins of idolatry, lust, and pride, they were blinded to such a degree that they could not see that they were already like God because God made them in their image and likeness. Instead, sadly, it was not enough for them to reflect the one true God by being in his image and likeness. They had to be God. Instead of an elevation from the estate of innocency to glory, we observe a demotion. In Genesis 3.21, the scripture says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. My former professor, Dr. Douglas Green, brought out this fascinating insight with regard to the scripture. I'm paraphrasing here. But Dr. Green said, the putting on of new attire implies a change in status. Like when a man puts on a cape, we think superhero. Another example is when a woman puts on a bridal gown with all of her adornments, she becomes a bride. In Genesis 3.21, Adam and Eve, this is Dr. Green, the previously glorious humans have had a change in status. They are now more like the animals they are supposed to rule over than they are like God. You've heard it said that sin is what makes us truly human. No, sin dehumanizes us always and at every point. As wicked as sin is though, regardless of how it manifests itself, it does not remove the image of God within humanity. However, sin can and does mar the image of God within us. When we reflect on the Imago Dei, the dominion God gave Adam and Eve, the communion they enjoyed with God, we ought to see how particularly heinous the fall was. It was a cataclysmic fall. And Adam all died. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The impact of Adam's sin was immediate and comprehensive. Genesis 3, 8 through 24 gives an account of sin's impact on us and the world. Here are just a few. Adam and Eve, having become aware of their sin, they were, knew that they were naked, and they were so ashamed that they hid from God, which demonstrates the broken fellowship mankind has with God, and it is punctuated when God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Now there is a definitive separation between humanity and God. There is strife between human beings, pain and childbearing. Our bodies betray us as we age and diseases ravage our body. Each one of us in this room will die eventually. The world is under a curse. Since this is the case, why are you shocked when you hear about Brock Turner, the Dakota Access Pipeline? the Flint water crisis in Boko Haram. In one sense, none of us should be after learning just how expansive and insidious the fall is. But in another sense, we, 
believers and unbelievers alike, should be shocked because we are image bearers and we know that things should not be this way. The unbeliever suppresses this truth and wickedness and unrighteousness, but their souls cry out just the same. In fact, all of creation is groaning for redemption. In the present, we cannot escape the reality that every square inch of the world, including the structures and systems of the world, and every part of our being, including our mind, will, emotions, intellect, and conscience, have been impacted by the fall. Who will deliver us from this body and world of sin, death, and misery? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. <laughs>